Welcome to Teacher Soul Talk, the podcast for teachers to get real about what it's like to be a teacher, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here you will hear a variety of experiences and perspectives, some universal truths and some unique shit. Teachers, you are not alone. You don't need to be alone. You can stand strong in your truth and believe in yourself. Here's a place to listen to how others have. Hey, this is Erica. Welcome to episode three. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. One of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was just to get to know more teachers, get to know more people out there and hear more stories. And so this is my first guest that I didn't already know. I connected through Facebook and we had a great conversation. So I'm excited to share it. Here's Patrick Motion. It's always it's always good to meet a fellow spirit teacher who's been doing this for a while and kind of gets it. Yeah. You know, as we as we sit around the faculty meetings and look around at everybody throwing their hand up in the air, and I'm like, oh, it must be like your first or second year. <laughs> you know, you're reading from the handbook of like join every committee, say oh. yes to everything every administrator wants to do ever, and um, you know, kiss yeah. uh, kiss everybody up that you have to. It's burn know, yourself out as fast as possible. Burn yourself out as fast as possible. And also like, you know, I think for all of us going out, out into it, you think like, you know, I'm going to go out and change the world because no one has a personality like me. And as you get ground down, you realize like the world actually changes you yeah. um, and over a long period of time. That's again, you I mean, that's, that's exactly what, what has happened to me, which is a bummer because I think both of us too, you sit at the early, you know, early stage of your career and you see like the, the old curmudgeons around the room and you're like, you know, they're all in their mid to late fifties and you're like, what are the, what's wrong with these people? Yeah. Why, you know, why, why are they, why are they not, you know, and I'm never going to be like that. You know, that's yeah. the thing you utter of like, that will never happen to me. And, uh, yeah. you know, but anyway, I digress. Um, no, it's great. You are, you are now, if I read your, your blog, right. And stuff, you're no longer teaching. You've started this. Is this like your own startup company or what, what are you doing? Yeah, this is what I'm working on. I'm I'm home with my son full time right now and trying to get this going. And you know, I still even just last week I I looked into jobs and teaching and I'm just like, no, no, I can't I can't do it. I don't want to be back in a in a school. I don't want I just there are so many pieces of it that I don't want. I adore the students. I love my students and I miss that. But my goal in life is to try to find something like that. That's on my own terms because yeah, it's, and, and to do whatever I can to change the way schools are now, because it's just not really working for anybody. No, and you know what? I think a lot of people are really quick to lay the oh, there goes my seven year old. <laughs> I think a lot of people are quick to lay the blame at the feet of COVID, but I feel like that just kind of helped topple things. You know, it's certainly not people that don't understand education, don't work in education and are connected to it. It's easy for them to be like, well, you know, COVID, but it really isn't. I mean, that just was an extra straw on the camel's back. But I, I have felt like at least for the past 10 years, um, it's been toppling over in terms of more kids being enabled, uh, way more parent pushback, you know, and, and way more lackluster effort. I don't understand what has changed in terms of the kids just not wanting to work. Um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, how much you, you looked at me, but I, I've always taught middle school. So I'm sixth, seventh, eighth grade, 10 to 13 year olds. And my community is about 30,000. It's very blue collar. Um, we're about 30 miles north of Boston, and uh, we only have one middle school. We have one high school and five elementaries. So it's a relatively small district. Mm-hmm. So I, I, all the kids come through. Um, I would put us right in the middle. You know, we're certainly not affluent. We're not, uh, we're not in, you know, very below the poverty line either. Um, maybe 12, 15% of our kids are on free or reduced lunch. Uh, and and we're, we're mostly white suburban school. Um, mm-hmm. But as time has gone by, like I said, I just I feel like there's been kind of a shift in in the amount of effort that the kids want to put into anything. Mm-hmm. It's you know, and I and I I teach music, so I feel like I'm a place where a lot of kids want to be in the first place. 
And even that it's just, you know, how fast can I get this done? And, and I don't know. I just, I think they're very distracted. There's a ton of stuff pushing in on them. I, I tell my kids, you know, when I grew up, I'm 48, when I grew up, we had to go out and seek information and then figure things out that way. But I said to them, I said, the, the big problem you guys face is all the information is just coming at you. So you have to siphon and sort out what you think is true and right, but it's just coming at you from all angles. I said, I don't know how that pivot works, but in the classroom, it's still the old days, right? I mean, mm-hmm. traditionally, yeah, it's up there and the information is being disseminated. The kids take it and they do what, what, what they will. Um, but that's, that's not how they live. You no. Know? Um, so that, that to me is, a, is another thing, but I, I don't know if, um, if Erica, if you have a script or if, you know, you just want to shoot the breeze or, or you want to hear my story, you know, when you stop, when you stop record too, I, I have a few questions for you because I don't even pretend to know what it would be like to be in a, in a, in a city school. And I would definitely like to know a little bit about that. Um, and I hope this isn't just our one and only conversation because I'm always looking to network with people that get it. Uh, mm-hmm. and you get in your little bubble and your district, your town, your city, whatever it is. And you kind of start to think like everything else, well, this is the way it is. And this is the way it must be everywhere. And yeah. It's, so. Yeah. It's, it's especially, I think it's interesting if you've been at the same school the whole time, it's, it's, you know, you have the longevity to like see the trends of how things change because you know, the other, you have the other control factors. Um, Whereas I was at three different schools, three very different types of schools. I was at a charter and then a neighborhood and then a selective enrollment, um, all in different areas of Chicago. So for me, it's like (laughs) there were drastic differences um, in a lot of ways throughout my career. So, yeah, um, it, it's definitely not super structured. Like we have to hit one, two, three. Um, okay. And, but, but I do want to hear your story and like hear, you know, a bit more about whatever you're comfortable sharing. Oh, I, yeah, I, no, was, yeah. I looked at, um, I did see a little bit, I looked at a couple articles about what happened with you and yeah, I think, I think, if we, if you want to start at the beginning of like, what made you want to become a teacher? And, you know, there's so many, (laughs) so many aspects we could talk about from what makes you want to, to whether teacher training prepared you to the first year's drowning to, you know, getting as far as you did and connecting with students. And, you know, there's, so we can go wherever it goes. My distinct different angle, I think, from everybody else, uh, or at least a lot of people, is that I'm disabled. So I uh, I live with muscular dystrophy, which uh, for those listening, if they're not sure, it's a it's a protein deficiency in in all of the body's muscle cells. And there are 40 different types of muscular dystrophy. And actually, as we speak today, today is called Duchenne Awareness Day um, worldwide, um, which is actually the most fatal and common form of MD, which I don't have. But so. Uh, I teach for the last 10 years, I've taught full-time from a wheelchair. Uh, And before that, I walked a little bit and then sat a little bit. Uh, And even when I was student teaching, unbeknownst to me behind my back, a couple of my coordinating teachers told my coordinating university professor, you know, this might be too tough for him. Uh, The kids might, you know, they might not accept him. It might be difficult, especially doing music stuff and band and instruments, you know, this may be, uh, this may be a stretch. And my college professor, who was an amazing woman, uh, she took me aside and she said, I am not telling you any of this to discourage you. I want you to know that it's out there and you're probably going to have to deal with it for the majority of your career. But these are coming from the adults. She said, you know, the times I've observed you and the kids I've interviewed, no problem. And I thought, you know, it's way easier for kids to be accepting uh, because they don't have the adult blinders on. Uh, yeah. And I went at it like that, even from my first year. But backing up, so I started playing drums uh, when I was a kid, and I was good at it, and that became my high school passion. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go on MTV, and I'm going to make tons <laughs> of money, and it's going to be amazing. And 
I went to college uh, for sound recording. Um, and when I got in there, I realized that there were a lot of kids around me that were better at math and way better at physics. And uh, I realized it was kind of an electrical engineering gig with like some sound classes thrown in. And I thought, man, I'm not touching my instrument. Like this is not what I signed up for. So at the university, I went to UMass and the only other options were music business or music ed. So mm -hmm. I had started giving drum lessons in my late teens. And I thought, you know, working with kids is kind of fun. But I think like a lot of people, I decided, all right, I'll teach for like three or four years while I figure out what I want to do. And then when I become a grown up and I get my life squared away when I'm 24, I'll, I'll plan everything out. So fast forward, you know, I graduate and I get like five or six interviews. And all I wanted to do was teach high school because I just thought that would be great. Especially being an instrumentalist and a band guy, I thought, you know, that would be cool. So I start working with a bunch of different marching bands in the area, different high school programs while I'm trying to get my foot in the door. Every interview I had was for middle school and one was elementary. In our area of the country, the Northeast, high school music jobs are really hard to come by. People just don't give them up um, and they stay there for 30 years. Wow. So even with burnout, they stay. So I actually wound up accepting the middle school position in the district where I went. So I'm actually not only in the same district, I grew up in the town, wow. um, which is kind of weird because there's a few of us and I didn't mean to become a townie. Uh, <laughs> I had moved away, but to be honest, it was, it was the highest paying contract. Uh, yeah. Just to give, you know, to give the listeners an idea of what we're talking about, it was 1995 and I had my bachelor's degree, step one, and it was a shade under $24,000 a year. And I thought I was loaded. My wow. first check was like, yeah, my first check after taxes was like $650. And I went to, uh, I went to a record store, remember those? Yeah. And I blew <laughs> half of it on music. And I thought, this is, uh, this is awesome. Um, sadly, 27 years later, I'm now a shade under $90,000, uh, which living in New England, my wife is also a teacher in yeah. my school. Uh, she teaches Spanish. So, you know, we have the dual income thing and it, it's okay. But, you know, what are the correct 27 years? I mean, yeah, but we can spin off on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I start up and I, I, the first year I fell in love with it. I thought, man, this is, this is awesome. The kids are quirky and, and adolescents and they definitely can be hyper and annoying, but I, I corralled them. I, I wrangled them and I was myself and I was real. And one of the first conversations we had after getting to know them was I said, listen, guys, like I have this condition, muscular dystrophy, and I walk funny and I'm going to need some help around the classroom and there's some things I can't do. And right away they were like, cool. I don't know if it's because I showed them that side of me being human. I'm yeah. not sure. But it kind of morphed from there um, so that, you know, not only did the kids learn about my condition, uh, you know, over the years, I've stayed in touch with a lot of them. They've helped fundraise. They ask how things are going. But I think the biggest takeaway is middle school is a very difficult time of life. I don't know anyone that would want to live adolescence twice. Nope. But the coolest part is here they see this person in front of them that's, you know, I don't want to say overcoming odds because to me it just feels normal, even though I need all this help. Yeah. But they can look up at the front of the room and say, all right. You know, this guy has like physical trouble getting out of bed. I'm not going to complain that like, you know, I'm not going to do my work, even though they still do. Or they realize that like, you know, if there's something you want to do and there's obstacles in the way, you just find a way to move the obstacle. So it doesn't really matter that I'm teaching music. It could be anything. You know, what's coming out of my lessons is life. And I tell the kids, I'm like, listen, that, that's what I want. I, I, you know, if I run into you in 20 years and you don't remember that we talked about the Beatles, that's okay. But if you remember that you felt good and safe and positive in my room and you realize, man, like, you know, he did this, I can do this. And then everybody wins. I said, it's not, it's not more, you know, it's more about life than the subject matter. Yeah. Um, music just happens to be my vehicle. So fast forward, you know, I'm building up the band program and there's three different music teachers in the, in the school and we're all working together and things were really collaborative there for 10, 12 years. Um, Took a couple of trips to Washington, D.C., uh, you know, just to, did some traveling. It, it was great. And our high school program in the town 
the marching band has gone national. They've done the Rose Bowl and Fiesta Bowl. They've done Macy's Day Parade. So, nice. you know, the marching band is kind of on the map. So, you know, I'm feeding that and everything is great and I'm feeling good. And of course, muscular dystrophy is progressive. So mm-hmm. things are getting worse in my personal, uh, you know, struggles with my health, but it, it never, it didn't affect any of my teaching. Um, and then I started working on the side with a, with a charity that I support called uh, PPMD, Parent Project Muscular Dystrophy, run by a woman from Cincinnati who actually lost two sons to Duchenne before they were mm-hmm. 20. And wow. instead of running from the disease, she decided to start a foundation. So I hitched horses with her and I started to um, do some speaking. And she realized, you know, all right, this guy is in front of adolescent kids for a living. Adults are no problem. So <laughs> next thing you know, over the over the past 10, 12 years, she like first I'm, you know, she's sending me around the country. Then next thing you know, I'm, I, she invites me to speak in Rome. And I go to a few places in Europe and and Australia. And each time I did this, I had to go to my school board and I had to ask for the time off. Mm -hmm. And the superintendent, um, every time, you know, he would say, you know, we really shouldn't be paying you because I don't understand how the district wins from this. And I said, I'll tell you how the district wins. The district wins because I come back as a changed worldly citizen with all these stories for the kids. And again, it's the fact that I'm able to do all this from a chair and I'm going over and I'm spreading the word. And when I go over and spread the word about my condition, I, you know, I'm talking about my, my job and the school district. It's like giant connections. Yeah. He's kind of like, you know, not, but of course he has to answer to the taxpayers. I get that. But I go before the school board and they're fine. Every time they're like, Nope, this is great. Go, go, go. So finally, I think it was 2012. I got invited to go to Switzerland. And the superintendent came over and visited me and said, you're done. You need to uh, evaluate your personal responsibilities. If you're going to do that, do that. If you're going to do this, do this. But if you want any more leave time, it has to be unpaid. So I couldn't afford to do that. So, of course, that's the end of that. But I still was taking speaking gigs in the summer. So, you know, everything was fine. You know, I got married and I've had a couple of kids and life is good. Mm -hmm. Um, As I've gotten weaker, you know, obviously it's harder for me to conduct. I can't physically play the band instruments anymore, but you know, I, I do demos. I have YouTube. I mean, there's plenty of ways to get around it. Yeah. So the program is doing fine. Everything's great. And then in the spring of 2019, I get a visit from the superintendent really out of nowhere. And he just says, I'm reassigning you next year. Um, I feel that your handicap has gotten to the point where you can no longer effectively do the band instruction. So you're going to have the music classes for the kids that don't do chorus, don't do band and don't do orchestra. So I said, okay, you know, where, and you know, whole normal setup, bring a union rep on. I said, where is this coming from? Have parents complained? No. Have you got any complaints from kids? No. I have a music supervisor. Any complaints from that person? No. Then where is this coming from? And he says, I just think it's time. I've spoken to some other music teachers and they feel like, they're taking on more of your job. So I said, so your answer is to give them the whole job. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. So I sat on it for a week and didn't say a word to anybody. And then I had my observation, which Mm -hmm. went fine. So I, cause I thought, all right, something will be in my write-up. Nope. So then I went in and, and spoke to my principal and my supervisor. And I said, this was handled poorly. I can't believe this is happening to me after 25 years no one's going to come over and have a conversation. We, we haven't even talked about maybe we should have a medical evaluation. We, yeah. They didn't even want to have a conversation with me. So I'm like, I've given my life to this town and this district for a quarter of a century. There's nobody complaining. And yet you're going to just change the whole thing. So I went to the union and I spoke to the lawyers and they said, the problem is they're not changing your salary, your benefits or your hours. So they can reassign you however they want, as long as you're certified to teach the area. I said, yes, I get that. But again, as a human being, after 25 years, and it's not like I broke any rules or broke any laws, you know, because I've been given this condition by the higher power or whatever you believe in, Mm -hmm. I'm being punished. If that's not discrimination, what is? So it got a little dicey at the end of that school year. 
Oh, by the way, when the superintendent broke the news and did this to me, it was Staff Appreciation Week in New Hampshire. That's so, funny. I was fired on Teacher Appreciation Week as well. So they well, really they, know how to time well, it. Yeah, they well, they do. And, you know, they're always like, oh, gee. And I'm like, you guys know exactly what you're doing. <sighs> so I, um, I started to complain at lunch with some staff that I'm friends with. You know, they said, man, for like a week, you haven't been yourself. You know, you're not bubbly. You, you know, I said, I'll tell you what's going on. And it sucks. Yeah. So I told them now I still to this day, I don't know who it was. There were like eight or nine teachers. Somebody either told a parent. I think it was a parent, you know, a well-placed parent. And it blew up. Next thing you know, it's all over social media. And I'm getting calls from the Boston News, the New Hampshire News. So, I'm, you know, next thing you know, I'm on television. It's like, wow. what's going on? And of course, I'm choosing my words carefully because we all know in education, there are unwritten rules yeah. Of, you know, people say, and there's no retribution, but if, you know, if I'm 15 seconds late for bus duty mm-hmm. or, or, you know, if I say, Hey, I have a dentist appointment, mind if I duck out five minutes after the bell instead of 20, like the contract? No, you know, there's ways to be messed with. Mm-hmm. So I began carefully uh, and then everything collapsed in my own department because my fellow teachers were like, you know, you must've staged this. Um, so, you know, what are you trying to do? I'm like, I'm just trying to keep the part of my mm-hmm. job that I really want to keep. So at the final concert of the year, um, an eighth grade clarinet player comes out to me and she says, we're all wearing T-shirts under our uniforms tonight and we're going to walk off the stage before the last number. <laughs> I, I said, you can't do that. I said, this concert can't be about me. It's about you. You, you. I said, you're warming my heart, but you're also breaking it. I said, don't. There's ways to do it and it's not here. I said, you're going to upstage the thing. I want this to be about you guys making music the best way you can honor me is to play an awesome show. So thankfully they did. But then a couple of nights later, there were more than a hundred people at the school board meeting and they presented a petition that was signed by almost 5,000 people. Wow. The school board took the steps of absolutely nothing. And the superintendent said nothing, did nothing, uh, except a week later came back to see me, uh, this time threatening me about some rumor that he heard two years before about me texting some college kid to go out drinking or something. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't even know what this is, right? What, what, you know, what are you doing? And he's just like, you know, not everyone's a fan. All this dust is being kicked up. And, you know, yeah. I, this is, and I, I just was like, you know what? I just put my head down and finished the school year. And I thought, that's it. Yeah. So then a month later, at the end of June, I'm about to go out to Arizona to do some charity work. And without giving you, you know, a million extra details you don't need, I am having awful problems with my stomach. Thought it was related to stress. Wound up the whole month of July and a little bit into August, um, I had gallstones. Mm. And with anybody with a pre-existing health condition of muscular dystrophy, any hospitalization is can be dangerous because of anesthesia and things that affect the heart and lungs. So I spent three different trips and uh, three different times at Mass General Hospital, had to have my gallbladder out. Then I had an infection. When I finally started to recover, I said to the, the lead doc in there, I said, what, you know, is this just like, am I having the worst year ever? And he said, well, I can't be sure, but it, it's probably stress related. You know, mm-hmm. do you have any stress in your home life or your career? I'm like, yep. Yeah. So I was able to um, prolong going back to school until the middle of October. Um, but then I thought, you know, I, I don't really want to do this anymore. Yeah. And that was a really, really tough thing. Uh, and then COVID. So mm-hmm. I limped through the year remote like the rest of us. Uh, and then last year I was completely remote. So I thought, all right, you know, my whole entire mantra of my life is I don't give up on anything. So this right now is the first year we only started last week. This is the first year since everything happened with me losing the band part of my job that like school is kind of normal. So I went back and I need to decide if, if I really want to continue. My other problem is again, the health insurance is pretty decent. I have a seven year old and a four year old. I'm only 48. I have my master's in counseling, but it's like, you know, do I want to restart my career? Uh, I'm, you know, I do the charity work. I do some public speaking. I'm working for the charity. It's certainly not any sort of a real income. 
Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm also an educator that at this point I'm stuck. You know, I mean, I could look and say, well, 10 more years to go to retirement. It, but that's so long. A long time. It's so, it's so unfair to the kids. I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go in and just be like, okay, I'm mailing it. At, you know, I have old retired teachers are like, they just go in and suck up the money. I'm like, I can't. That's not me. I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've had a great rapport with the vast majority of my kids. It just, it really, you know, it, it really hurt me as a human being that after all this time, the administration couldn't say, listen, we've been noticing this, that, and the other. How you feeling? Yeah. What's going on? That would on be the people? human way to deal with it. Do you think, like, are the kids still getting the quality that, you know, and I would be the first to say, yeah, right now I think they are. But I'll tell you what, if I feel it start to slip, we can have some conversations. The union even went to the admin and said, you know, can we do a like a, a gap year? So he has like a and the superintendent was like, absolutely not. Now, I am happy to say that the superintendent just retired. So there is a new administration, but, you know, everyone's promoted from within. So everyone knows the story. And, you know, I don't expect to get anything back because now it's but I kind of have to sit there and watch as not as many kids sign up. And, you know, the rumors drift down the hall that, oh, we're not really having that much fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and probably that's just kids being kids. But the whole thing is, it, it was devastating. I mean, you know, yeah. my wife, my wife said for those couple of months, she's like, people were calling. She's like, do you remember talking to such and such? Because, you know, people came out of the woodwork. I'm like, nope. I don't remember any of it. I don't remember. The only thing I remember is a, a, a very, very close mentor to me that's, that's retired. He called and he said, you know, the silver lining of this is what's happening to you right now and all these kids and parents sending you notes, giving you a shout out on social media, the, you know, the news coverage. He's like, most people don't get to ever see that because it happens when they're dead. Yeah. He's like, You're here and you've gotten to connect with all these people that you know, just tell you, Hey, you meant a lot to me. And he's like, you know, soak that up because we don't all get that. And I said, that's, you know, that's cool. But you know, then of course people are looking at me like, well, he obviously did something wrong because they don't just do this for nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it drifted back to me. Another younger colleague in the building said, you know, well, you know, with the disability he has, he's lucky to be working. Uh, you nice. know, he might, he might, yeah, well, you know, I mean, people are next generation coming up, Erica, of, of kids in their twenties, man. I, you know, it's different. There's no loyalty of like, I'm going to stay here for 30 years. You know, they're kind of like, no. I'm doing this, that I'm going admin or I'm doing this, I'm going sports medicine, or, you know, I'm doing this, I'm going to coach like they don't, you know, so that's my rambling 30 minute story. Um, you know, I'm happy to report and it's only been a couple of weeks of school, but because I wasn't there last year uh, with some remote kids at home, but a lot of kids were in school because our district was open. A lot of the kids are really, really being very cool. And they're like, we don't want, like, we want you. And we know that if we act real stupid and screw it up, you know, you can move our classes or, you know, you, it's not going to be good. I was yeah. like, you know what, you guys, that's that's cool. I'm glad to hear that. Of course, as you know, and other educators will know, we're in the honeymoon phase right now because we've only had like, you know, six days of school. Mm-hmm. So check in with me around Thanksgiving and we'll see if I'm still rosy. But you know, I, I just don't know. I don't, it, the spirit was killed inside me and it was by no action that I took at all. Uh, and that's what really hurts, you know. And then my own supervisor, who I, I respect, as a professional colleague, she's an excellent musician. It was her first year in the position. So I'll never know if she went to the mat for me and said, no, you can't do this. Or being at her first year and the superintendent being a very intimidating figure, mm. that basically said, you know, don't even try to speak out against this or, or if she was in on it. I, so that's tough because we have department meetings and I kind of look at this woman and I think someday I have to ask her, but you know, then it's going to cause all kinds of tension and, Will it screw up any interpersonal relationships in the department? And just, it's, uh, I'm in a mess. And you notice in this 30-minute conversation, I don't really think you and I have talked about lessons, curriculum, teaching. No. That's really what all these conversations should focus on. Right? <laughs> Someone else clears out all the BS 
and we get to go into our classrooms and do our thing. Yeah. But I, that doesn't really happen anymore. Well, also notice that all of the, all of the issues, everything that was done to break you was by the adults, not the kids. Like, I think so many people, when they hear like you're a teacher or whatever, they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you can put up with those kids and this and that. And it's like, the kids are the best part. The kids are the easy part. It's the adults. It's the power structures and the adults and the chain of command and who's answering to who and making awful decisions for the wrong reasons. Like that's the part that sucks. Totally agree all day long. The politics. And then you wonder, you know, especially admin or, you know, middle management, the department and stuff. You wonder like, you know, what's their MO? You know, nobody wants to be an assistant principal. That's not like what you put on your tombstone. So like, <laughs> where are they going? What are they doing? Who are they cutting deals with? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. That all comes into play. And that when you asked me at the beginning, you know, how did college prepare you? I mean, you know, the, the, the correct answer for the majority of us is not at all. Right. But, you know, I came up in the early nineties. We didn't even have in college, there weren't even any special ed classes. We mentioned inclusion, but like no training of that uh, and nothing at all about any of the grownups. It was just, Hey, everybody works for you and everyone's in your corner and it's going to be great. And my very first year I went in and I said, listen, you know, I have like 12 kids in the band. I'd, I'd like some more time with them because I don't see them. And the principal at the time said, you want more time? You got to you got to produce more kids. You know, numbers speak. And I thought, so these 12 kids don't matter. But if I come back with 50, then you'll give me more time. OK, yeah. so that's what I want. I said, everybody's got to go out and get a friend. Um, but, you know, you're so green and young. You do whatever, you do whatever you're told. You don't know any better. Uh, you know, and I've also never been one to be quiet. You know, sometimes at the staff meetings, I've gotten prepped of like, we're talking about this. So try to sit there and shut up because you know, <laughs> you're going. And I'm always like, I will not. Like, you know, this is, if we're going to put everything out on the table, let's talk about this stuff. Um, and, you know, again, my staff in my middle school, not very big. It's like probably 75 teachers. 15, 20 paraprofessionals. Uh, but, you know, but we have plenty of administration and plenty of department heads. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, you know, what you think too, Erica, is that, that I feel like that's a swing. You know, in the middle of my career, all these department heads and middle management kind of weren't there. Mm -hmm. They were at the beginning, then they phased them out. Now they're back. It, well, you know, I mean, we could talk about the pendulum and somebody repackages the best way to read ever. And they say, this is mm -hmm. it. I'm thinking, well, 15 years ago, it was the same thing, but now oh, someone else is, yeah, well, someone else is consulting, right? And you just think, man, they're probably getting 10 grand to talk to this school district this morning and buy my plan and check out my book. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong, I'm on the wrong side. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, I mean, I, the only thing that gets me up every day is the kids. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, I mean, I have a few close personal friends that teach in the building. But other than that, when I was remote last year, my wife was too. You know, I said, man, I don't really miss most of the grownups. She's like, well, there's a sign. Yeah. So yeah, I'm broken. I'm, I'm very broken. And I'm very sorry to report that I'm broken because I thought I didn't think it would ever happen to me. Um, and it happened in such a cruel, shitty way. Yeah. That That's even worse. Uh, and of course, you know, you're hearing my side of the story. So to have it completely balanced, you probably need to talk to Ed Men or even a school board member. Uh, I've had all the school board members' kids. None of them have spoken to me in two years since this has gone down. I didn't receive one email, not one card, not one apology at an open house, nothing. You know, and I thought, man, I like, we're all human first. Yeah. And the kids, the kids hung up some signs around school. Other staff took them down. They went to the principal. Can we have a rally? Can we do this? You know, and, and they did. Uh, and of course, not, you know, nothing happened. And the kids came to me that year at the end. They said, you know, Mr. Motion, we're always taught to like stand up for what we believe in, get organized and fight. And then when we actually do, we just oh, get yeah. slapped. We get slapped down. Yeah. And I said, guys, you, you know, the worst part is I want to completely agree with you, but I have to be careful what I say, because if it looks like I'm carrying the torch, then all I'm doing is brainwashing you into, you know, I mean, it, 
It's the politics of it, you know. I know. I had to walk, I had to walk a very, very thin line. Uh, and then, you know, stuff springing up on social media. And there's a, there's a whole group, you know, save Mr. Motion's position. And I'm like, I can't even join it. Because if I do, then it looks like, again, I'm leading the charge. Um, yeah. Oof. And before that, you know, just full disclosure, I mean, I, you know, in 2007, I, I was awarded New Hampshire Teacher of the Year. Um, you know, there's been some other, like, it's not, I'm not a hack, you know? Right. Um, so it, it's, it's become, it's become crappy. Yeah, I wish, I mean, there are pieces of your story and what you're saying that resonate and that I've seen play out in various schools that I've been into and like the whole that what you were saying, the kids were saying of like, we're taught to stand up and advocate for ourselves and, and all of this. And then nobody fucking listens. And I've seen it happen again and again. And I have like been with them and like speaking for them and with them as well. And I don't get listened to either. You know, it's like, ah, uh, it's just so backwards. It's so backwards. Well, and it, and it seems to be backwards all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't seem to be like every, the politicians all put it in a box. Well, it's because there's poverty. No, that, no, no, that doesn't help, but no. Or again, because it's COVID. No, that's not it either. Well, they no. have this, they have that, you know, well, let's look into the home situation. Okay. Partially, but you know, like we can talk about environment, classroom size, you know, especially we could talk about that stuff all day long. But I think there's a fundamental problem in just the way everything is functioning or better yet, broken. You know, I mean, if you look at a car from 1920 and a car from 2021, a million differences. Pull up a Google image of a classroom in 1920 and 2020. It looks almost damn near the same. Rows yeah. of desks, teacher up front, kids sitting down, passively listening. You know, like what, what the hell? Yeah, it's the structure, it's the systems, the whole fucking thing is built on shitty principles, white supremacy, and uh, all the things that need to just be stabbed, yeah. stabbed and killed. Yeah, right. But but you know, but but again, the question is, how do you even go about it? So all of us in the trenches say we go about it one kid at a time. One and one interaction at a time, but you know I don't know if I read it on your blog or or uh, might have been on the Facebook where I first connected with you, of the quote of you know we teach for the outcome, not the income. Like I hate, I hate that expression so much yeah. because the same thing applies of like you know when the virus started, hey we're all heroes. Then suddenly when we're like this might not be safe, it was like you people fucking suck. Like if you want to work, stop being a, a pansy ass, get back into the classroom, mask up, get in there. And then it began to be, well, you know, so what's the point? Oh, mom and dad need to go to work. That's not really what we do either. But right. it is, you know, mm -hmm. I'm always aghast when any parent volunteers or some poor person comes in the sub and they take a firsthand look and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> yes, I have 28 humans in front of me. You know, this kid got the shit beat out of him at 630 this morning. This one hasn't had breakfast. This one is dad's in jail. This one can't focus. You know, this, this one's got a younger brother who's battling an illness. Like, and then it's like, okay, kids, we're going to talk about the Beatles. Like, they don't give a shit. Right. So, you know, I, I, I think, too, that, like, there's so much of, like, school's your safe space. Let's leave life and all this other stuff at the door. I mean, you can't. You can't. No. You know, and I don't even work. I, I, like I said, I don't. Even, I don't work in a building where we we don't have any any weapons problems. We don't have any gang problems. You know, we don't have anything like that. You know, and I just think, man, as another layer of bullshit, that's got to be. How do you even? How do you? What do you even do? Yeah, it's. I mean, just being human is hard. Growing up, being an adolescent is hard. And we're not supporting any of that. We're just like, okay, that's great. You're a human with problems. So am I, here's some math problems. You need to learn it to have any chance at having a life as an adult. And it's like, what? <laughs> 
but we're not teaching them how to take care of themselves and understand their own feelings and relate and, you know, have empathy and recognize their own humanity and take breaks when they need to and take care of their mental health. And it's just like, what do we expect? (laughs) What do you think society is going to be like if all we value is people being able to go to work and, you know, have successful jobs, whatever that even means when they grow up. It's yeah. It, it is a very, very huge and deep (laughs) thing to even think about tackling, but it's also like we have to. Oh, I was going to just say the same thing, Erica. It's necessary. There's somehow, you know, and I, I, I don't think, you know, you and I talking, this is not, we're not passing really any new information. All of what we're saying is known. And if you put 10 teachers that didn't know each other in a room, this stuff would come out in the first 60 seconds of the conversation. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is, what area of the country you're in, how long you've been teaching, you know, it's, it's there. So then, you know, the question becomes, how do we make that some sort of a groundswell to where, you know, hey, look guys, we just are going through the pandemic, standardized testing almost went away. Guess what? I don't know about you, but my day is still 24 hours long. The world is still turning on its axis. Everybody's getting up and going to bed. And guess what? There's no standardized tests. Holy shit. Maybe we don't need them at all. We don't. Right? But then, you know, then you got the lobbyists and all these people that are like, no, this is how we measure that. It's this is how we make money <laughs> how we and make keep money. people separated and differenti- yep. differentiated. And yep. <sighs> Yeah. And you're right. What we value is is off. I, with my eighth graders, for years, I've been doing a lesson on, on Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. And we, we connect that to a couple of rap tunes that have been written about the point of school. And I make them drill down to the fact where, you know, they realize that part of why they're there, a big part of why they're there is to learn social skills and empathy. You know, anything that you possibly could want in knowledge that you want to learn, you can find it. You don't really, you know, unless it's a hands-on or even then, you can find anything you want, but you really can't figure out how to be a human without other humans helping you. Yeah. We ignore all of that. So it's kind of, you know, I drill them down to what do you think the practical reason is why you're sitting in this room? You know, and my parents have to go to work. I have to go somewhere. I'm like, exactly, which is exactly wrong for you to think of. Right. The worst possible reason for you to be here. Yep. To learn stuff. I'm like, yeah, not really. You know, but and and I I get them to get around to it. But eighth grade, you know, way too late, way too late. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm seeing it. I mean, my own kids, seven and, and four right now, everything is awesome. They love to learn all kinds of stuff. School is great. You know, I tell my middle school kids, I'm like, what happens? What happens between, because we're programmed, I believe, we're programmed to learn. I mean, what little kid doesn't explore the whole world around him and think it's all amazing? Oh, yeah. Why does that disappear when you turn 12? It shouldn't. But, you know, you get all the bullshit of life kicking in on you and you realize school's programmed kind of for one set of rules. Sit down, learn this, shut up, and then regurgitate it on a test. If you're not good at that, you're kind of screwed. And the vast majority of kids aren't good at that. Yeah. Yeah. We, at my, my last school, we were, um, we did some research around a like integrated STEM program that we were creating. Yep. And it, we, we interviewed a bunch of students and it, it seemed like some of them, at least a good chunk of them were still coming into high school with some of that curiosity and like, you know, wanting to explore and learn. And it was like by sophomore year, we've broken them. (laughs) Like, so we were trying to, you know, make everything more inquiry based. We did a whole project on just going outside and observing the geese because there were, we had um, like a big pond and tons of geese. And we went out in the spring when they were having their babies and they came up with questions and observed them. And for so many of them, they were like, that was my favorite thing we've done all year. Cause it was so like, just be a kid, <laughs> like, be a kid and explore and be curious about whatever the fuck you want to be curious about in relation to this thing. Well, and, and, it was, and it was real, Erica. It was real. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, 
I'm not going to go sit on a park bench and do algebra, but I might go sit on a park bench and watch the geese. Mm-hmm. You know? and by the way, nobody's going to walk up to me and say, you get an A. So let's quit that shit altogether. But that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I don't have any answers. I have more questions, but it hurts me very deeply because, you know, this is the future. Yeah. And, and we're fucking it up pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you have any ideas on how to mobilize the teachers, that's a uh, part of my goal here. <laughs> well, like, like I said, I mean, you know, I hope this isn't a one and done because I, I you know, I, I love I love connections with kindred spirits and it, it's mm-hmm. stuff like this is going to at least get me through this school year, uh, depending on what I decide to do or can do yeah. um, in the future. You know, I, I need I need this personally for me to kind of help lift me up. You know, and my wife was like, what, what are you doing? What the hell? I'm like, you're not on badass teachers. She's like, I, what? And, you know, she's on social media way more than I am. I'm like, you need to get on there. I'm like, there's some great stuff that pops up. You know, like people are angry, man. I'm like, it's, it's the whole like other side of like, no, this is the real shit. And I'm, you know, I'm scrolling through and I'm like, I, I, I feel a lot of these people, yeah. you know, I feel you guys. So when I saw your thing pop up first, I'm like, Oh, Cincinnati, I got people there. Then when I began to read, I was like, oh, man, this woman is like, come work in my building, man. We, we just be fucking, we'd be pissed. So when is this your first year not teaching in a while? Uh, last year. So last year, um, I, fi- I finished out the initial COVID year of remote teaching. But then um, I was planning to go back. Our <laughs> Chicago Public Schools was... Um, very late in deciding to stay remote for the last school year. And um, so I was very late in deciding not to, um, not to continue. I took, I took a leave of absence. I took a medical leave of absence because I have um, really bad asthma. And I just decided to just take it for the whole year because I mean, I've, I've been in Chicago public schools for a long time. I've been on strike many, many times, unfortunately, because that's just the way it is there. You know, we have to strike to get any small amount of anything. And so I did not have any type of confidence that I would be kept safe, that there would be any shits given about whether my health um, was taken care of or students or anything. And I think you're muted. Sorry. No, I was just talking to, I was talking to my boy. He just ran. Oh, okay. I'm totally, I'm totally listening to you. Please. Keep yeah. Going. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a really hard decision, but ultimately I needed to h- take care of myself. My son at the time was one. Um, and so I didn't want him to get sick, obviously. So yeah, I decided, and I knew that the, I knew there would be times throughout the year when they would try to push us back too soon, just because that's what it's like there. And, and one of my triggers for my asthma is, um, stress. (laughs) And so I was just like, this is fucking, I I just don't want to deal with any of it. I can't, I'm not going to go through these anxiety cycles of like, Am I going to get pushed back in? Do I need to extend a leave? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do this? So I just took the leave for the whole year. And um, I'm so grateful that I was able to um, because I wasn't paid. Um, But I was able to keep my health insurance. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I and I've been working on this and working on myself and reflecting on my career and um, getting I did yoga teacher training, (laughs) just been, you know, trying to put all the pieces together of who I am and what I have to offer and how I can make a difference in the places where I feel passionately need a difference. So. I think that's, I think that's awesome. And, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, a lot of us get, you get trapped in this profession as well. I don't think it's as easy to jump ship, you know, other, other for-profit companies, Packages get put together, people come and go, you know, here you reach the top step and like, where are you going to go? You, you know, you're going to, 
you're going down on the pay scale. Um, right. There's that's fucked up too. The fact that you get no credit for all of your years when you change districts, it's just like, Oh, I have to start over because I didn't want to stay in the same right. place. I didn't want to stay in this, in this shitty circumstance. The other thing, I don't know how it is out there, but where we are in New Hampshire, when they non-renew you, if you're under five years, they don't have to give you a reason. So they can just say the, the golden thing of it's just not a good fit. But then what they do is they say, if you resign, you know, we'll write you a nice warm letter and we won't say anything. But if you decide that you're going to go and we're going to have to fire you, good luck getting another job within like 50 miles of here because anyone that calls me, we're going to basically tell them that you, you suck. So right. everyone resigns so that they don't have to deal with unemployment. Um, and, you know, and of course the union is like, we got to change this, but nobody will budge, you know, and we, we are an open collective bargaining state. Um, even though we're, we're moving towards right to work. I hope it doesn't happen ever. Uh, but, you know, even here where I think, I feel like we have a little more, you know, live free or die spirit and everyone thinks, Oh, New Hampshire, you know, you guys don't even have any laws completely untrue. Um, we can't, we're not allowed to strike. It's like illegal to strike. Um, so we have, uh, not right to work. What the hell am I thinking of? Um, it's where you do everything exactly by the black and white of the contract. Um, mm -hmm. I forget what the term is, you know, but we've gotten to that a few times where 15 minutes before the day starts, we're all walking in arm in arm. Nobody coaches. No, you know, and it's just like, what, who that does again, it only harms the children, you know? Yeah. And of course they all bank on that so that, you know, well, you're all doing it for the kids. So if we say no, we look like pricks. Yeah. Yeah. Hey again, this is Erica. Thank you for listening. I hope that conversation was helpful to you in some ways. As a quick reminder, you can find me at lovemorty.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there if you want to make sure you don't miss anything. I'm on Instagram at love.morty. And this episode and this podcast is produced by me, Erica Horsley. And we'll be back soon for another episode. If you have a chance to rate and review, if you like what you hear, I would so, so, so appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.